Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. It gives me great pleasure today to introduce our guest whose driving purpose, which is to catalyze and lead positive impact, has led her to become a founder of an innovative and highly impactful startup. Melanie Greblow is currently founder and CEO at Scribe and Bank Fear Academy with a shared theory of change to achieve long-term financial independence for women victim survivors of domestic and family violence through full social and economic participation. Mel is an idea synthesist and strategist with a proven record of achievement in business, social ventures, community engagement, and culture transformation with a deep commitment to diversity, inclusion, innovation, and systemic social change. Her impressive career trajectory includes seven years with the team at Impact Asia Pacific, where she curated the annual Impact Investment Summit and the region's first Gender Lens Investment Summit, 10 years with the Co-Tree for Renewal, a global human development and learning community, which she founded in 2011, and a number of prior roles leading social and not-for-profit organizations. Melanie's strengths converge around system change, connecting divergent points to create shared value, creating flourishing cultures, driving engagement, building long-term partnerships, strategic communication, community building, catalyzing policy change and action. Wow, Melanie, thank you so much for joining us here on the Beloved Money podcast. Thank you, Carolyn. It's such a pleasure to be here. I've heard I've listened to so many great episodes and heard so many other great reports. So it's lovely to oh, be here. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. And I, I'm so glad to have you on as a guest. We met in the Coffee Queue at Purpose Conference in October last year, 2022. And we got chatting and um, and as soon as you told me what you what you were doing through Scribed and Banksier Academy, um, I knew I knew then and there I wanted you to come on as a guest. So I, I'm going to kick off with the first question we ask all our guests. Thinking about purpose in business and workplaces, does love have a role to play, do you think? Well, I love the question for starters. <laughs> Thought you might. Yeah, and um, and the answer is an unequivocal yes. Um, absolutely it does. Uh, you know, um, as many of your guests on this podcast and listeners would probably, you know, attest to that times have changed a lot in business over the last sort of, you know, particularly decade, but probably over the last sort of 25 years. And um, yeah, I feel like I was just, I was reflecting on this question a little bit this morning and, um, you know, we've, business has been shaped obviously within the structures of patriarchy that we that most of our structures and systems have been built um in that in that framework and and with that came a lot of um, language associated with um you know patriarchal um imperatives so war and and sport and so a lot of the language in business has always been about battling and you know, competition and and strategic manoeuvres and um, allies and um, and it still plays out in our language in business. Every day you hear this this language that's really bedded in conflict and 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 you could say in hate in in the human emotion that that causes or that is basically kind of fed from fear um, and. Yeah, I, I've long, I think my entire career, I've just wondered and asked the question, can't we do this differently? <laughs> can't we create business and and community life and society around a different um, language and vernacular and one that kind of comes from a, a poetic sensibility, one that draws on music and art and and all the things that we kind of might associate with love. And so... Um, yes, I, the, the answer to that question is yes. Um, not only can we, um, you know, can does love have a role to play or, or can we bring love into that conversation, but I think I really believe we should. 
that's a really interesting perspective, um, Mel, and I, I thank you for it. it it's one um, I hadn't thought of in those terms before, and I haven't had put to me in those terms before. Um, but you know that that sort of patriarchy um, being shaped by by sports and military and competition and you know faster, harder, bigger, stronger. It is um, without doubt. Um, business has been shaped in a very male way, but um, but that militaristic sort of thing I hadn't um, I hadn't considered before, and I think you're right. And it's always lacked this sense of not just warmth but abundance and mm. opportunity, hasn't it? Mm. It's, it's it's very much you know you've got to fight for everything, and you know the competition side of things, mm. um, and when you just have that focus and no balance to that, that's where it becomes unhealthy, doesn't it? So yeah, um, yeah. yeah thank a, you. Yeah, there's a beautiful. Um, well, I think what's emerging too, and it's and it's less about gender roles, I feel, but more about um, that masculine and feminine kind of energy that we all embody in in every single one of us, and that that we're somehow the the feminine is coming more into its own in in every human being um but also in the workplace and and in business and even in you know probably in even in policy thinking and and development as well i would say and that's super exciting because i mean obviously it's not that um you know that the feminine is generally you know where we nurture love and and it, it is that more nurturing kind of aspect and and energy so yeah, that's ex really exciting to me at the moment too, that not only are we seeing gender roles and gender um, equality um, kind of advance, you know, which is brilliant and still a long way to go, but we're also seeing that kind of just, um, yeah, it's not just about getting more women in leadership to change that. It's actually that we can all embrace this inner kind of um qualities and you know likewise with masculine energy and what, what that can bring um, but if it's more balanced with the feminine then it's um yeah we can see some it's really exciting when I think about it I think it's also what gives me this incredibly um tragically optimistic outlook <laughs> on life and you know, it's just not tragic that. it's not tragic <laughs> it's that's the kind of outlook we we absolutely need if we're to move forward and if we're to accelerate you know this movement I think um you know this idea that that, that you're talking about is one that crops up a lot in conversations with my guests and it, it, it is such an important one and it's moving um you know th this feminine energy away from being the soft skills which are nice to have but not you know, they're not the core of what business needs to be. It's a nice to have towards the, the feminine energy being powerful, mm. right? Mm. Not so, you know, not, not a soft skill, not nice to have, but mm. actually powerful because when we channel it and we integrate it with the, with the masculine energy, you know, when we bring it together and balance it out, that's where huge opportunity um, opens up for more people and more stakeholders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, that's the kind of power that I think we we need more of, and, and particularly with the challenges that we're we're facing globally and um, and you know down to the community level as well. Absolutely. Now you're active. You're right in the centre of this and you're, you're um, tackling one of these areas of need um, in a really innovative way. Um, so can you share your background story that led to where you are today with your business scribe and with the Banksphere Academy? Yeah, sure. So, um, Carolyn, as you sort of um, reflected through my bio before, um, my my whole career has very much been about impact and purpose. I feel very fortunate that um, actually it was a very early experience in my life that um, probably shaped my my career journey, and that was um, coming out of university, 
feeling like the world was my oyster and I could have, you know, the world was at literally at my feet. And that's what I'd always thought going through university. Uh, but not long after I finished university, um, my younger sister who had been diagnosed with cancer and was sort of going through treatment, um, we realised that we were told that she wasn't going to live. And so she died um, in the July after I grad- after I finished university. So that literally took the ground out from underneath me that I thought was solid and that I thought was this, this world before me that I could do anything with and um, just shook the foundations of what I, I knew life to be. And, and I think, you know, from that very early experience, you know, holding my little sister's hand, who was not quite 21 when she died, take her last breaths. And it was, it was one of those things that would change me forever, obviously. And I wouldn't see until years down the track in which ways that would change me and um, shape the rest of my life. But that became quite apparent in the work I went into early after I finished university was straight into the kind of community sector um, and then um, and then other not-for-profit organisations, some, some a stint in the arts, which was fantastic, um, and then into leading um, home hospice, which was uh, my first CEO role. So, so home hospice was a national social venture set up to try to sort of really change culture and the conversations that we were having around care at end of life and how we um, how we did that in Australia and how we learnt from other kind of innovative practices globally, um, what we could do here and create kind of um, social capital at that very particular time in people's lives where, you know, often that was often feared. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my... The, my first big kind of um, entry into social change and what it could look like and how you do social change. Um, and, you know, that came directly from my early experience in life too. So um, fast forward, uh, I, you know, there was um, another another big role as a CEO of um, School Aid Trust. And then I um, took maternity leave um, to have my second child and, um, yeah, ended up setting up the coterie uh, for renewal not long after he was born. So that was, you know, a, a period of life that I was kind of really interested in, you know, the inner workings of human beings and developing our, um, yeah, soft skills, leadership capacity, um, capacity to connect, um, to co-lead, to co-design, Um you know, a group of people who were shaping futures differently to how we've, we've thought of um, as being the only way in the past, um, outliers, if you like, doing things a little bit differently. Um, yeah, and so we worked a lot with, you know, poetry, music, the arts, um, and still do, um, even though I've taken quite a step back now, obviously, from from that business. So, yeah, that was a really wonderful time. And I guess uh, running my own business, um, I was extremely grateful as I was going through some difficult kind of difficult and really big challenges in, in my with my children and my family that then basically planted the seed for uh, for starting Scribed and Banksia Academy. So, yeah, that's what's brought me to the last sort of couple of years. And Scribed is... Um, or a year old next next month. <laughs> Thanks to your academy is even a year old. Um, but yeah, we're um, yeah, it's been an incredible journey so far in startup land. Um, certainly not for the faint of heart, as you would have it heard. Certainly <laughs> isn't. But congratulations on one year. That's a huge achievement. So I I just want to go back on that and first of all just say how sorry I am that you know you had to go through that with your sister. Um, because that must have been so traumatic um, and obviously had a huge impact on your life. I was talking to another guest the other day, and um, Abdel Aziz, um, who is a purpose expert based based in LA. Uh, we were talking about how a lot of people in this sector, you know, who are really building this revolution in business, right, and who are so passionate about it and committed to it, 
it usually comes about as some as a result of some kind of trauma. And obviously, your your sister's death and what she went through had a huge impact on you. But I guess you know, I was just thinking as you were talking, it comes down to when something like that happens, you feel all the vulnerabilities of being a human, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's You're such exposed. a, it's a, yeah, it's a particularly unique, I guess, experience to have as a younger person too, to experience that level of loss that is literally the loss of life. It makes you reflect um, probably a lot earlier than a lot of other people do or would on, you know, the fact that, you know, that it, life is finite and, you know, mm. you know, all those kind of, tropes that come out like you know you don't know when your time's up and you've got to live each day and all that sort of thing they're actually true <laughs> but you, yeah. you you experience that um in a very visceral way obviously it's not just an idea that you kind of try to remind yourself of every now and then it becomes a living breathing breathing thing that actually I've seen physically that people take their last breath and then they then they're no longer and so what do we do with every breath that we're gifted with and and not to not to look over the loss and grief in a kind of a Pollyanna way but also not to kind of dive into and, and I feel like too that we've kind of we've our you know we've we've come to use the word trauma probably overuse it recently and mm. you know we've it was it was really horrible what happened to my sister and for our family to go through that. There were probably some traumatic elements to it, particularly maybe for more for some of us than others. Um, but I don't ever, I didn't ever feel traumatized by it. I don't think, and and I've and you know, and since I guess working in the end of life space as well, and it's interesting. I've um, heard the the phrase and we've worked with it in the past of um, post-traumatic growth and and that that's a real possibility and how we kind of foster resilience um, at the same time as acknowledging deep grief and loss is really interesting to me and and probably really particularly interesting too now working with um, women survivors of domestic and family violence in the academy um, and ascribe that how what can trigger that and how can we you know how can we uh create the environment and the conditions to really ripen post-traumatic growth um you know in lieu of post-traumatic stress um mm. and how can we lift out of our traumatic experiences I guess um and again without glossing over anything that's been really horrendous and the deep scars that are left um, for mostly women who experience domestic violence. So that's that's part of the work, that kind of underlying, um, you know, curiosity and question around that as well, to support women in, into their into their power again, and and to be resilient and um, yeah, get through the the really tough parts of what what's happened to them um and and see a horizon that's yeah um positive is not the right word a, a bright horizon for themselves yeah mm, opportunity yeah crawling yeah. crawling out of the out of the yeah the, the darkness I guess so let's let's get into scribed and the Banksia um academy can you can you share with uh, tell us what it is exactly. Sure. <laughs> so, Scribed is a um, is a, uh, a for profit for purpose business. Um, we uh, there's two parts to the business in terms of what we offer our clients, customers. Uh, one is we build a product for HR leaders to kind of streamline all of the administration that they have around their you know extremely high volume of workplace meetings. So um, it's a web-based app. It records workplace conversations. Um, we then provide a summary of the meeting and next actions back to the HR leader. 
comes with a, a link to the recording of that meeting um, and an unedited transcript of the meeting if you needed that. If you needed a tr fully edited transcript, we can do that on demand as well. So it's basically there to support kind of any kind of escalation of um, workplace matters that might go to fair work or workplace relations um, work cover, anything like that. But also it's there to su just support HR leaders who have increasingly um, just massive volumes of meetings that they work through every day, every week, and are getting bogged down in all of that administration. So we combine um, AI with um, human input, and the human input component of what we do is powered by women survivors of domestic and family violence. So we're providing them with um, safe, secure, flexible work opportunities. They can work remotely um, for women that are transitioning through housing. Uh, they can work wherever they are. They can keep that employment. And the Banksier Academy then comes or comes in and, and delivers a whole lot of wraparound supports around those women to, to really help them thrive at work and in their lives. So um, the Academy supports scribed employees, but it can equally and does equally support other women um, either into work who are, who, who are survivors and haven't worked for some time possibly um, and, um, and supports other women who are already in professional roles but need that extra support to maintain their employment and thrive at work as well. So uh, women survivors of domestic and family violence have a, you know, face a number of barriers to employment. Um, we're learning more and more about the impacts of domestic and family violence on women at work or, who are already employed. And we're learning more and more about the impact of that on workplaces. So yeah, it's um, the academies there kind of for the full kind of spectrum of support for workplaces and employees in those workplaces, but also for women who are trying to get back to work and return to work. I love, I love, I love it. Uh, I mean, it, it solves a problem. It solves a business need and it solves it in a more um, sophisticated way than obviously people, you know, are using transcription services. But the challenge that more and more people are finding is the accuracy, you know, mm. so it's not serving their needs. But, and that's, I love how you bring in the human element but you're doing it um, in a way that solves, that tackles one of society's big problems. You know, when you first told me about this, it was like, that's brilliant. I, that's just superb. But what I'm interested in is what came first? Did you, um, did you have the business idea first or was it the impact that you wanted to achieve or was it a blend of both? I'm, I'm really curious to understand you know, particularly with your background and what you've done, what what was the trigger point for, for it starting? Hmm. So the trigger point was um, through my own lived experience of going through the family court system and even prior to that, there were many parts of um, a journey that I was on that, you know, as a social entrepreneur, I couldn't help but kind of think at certain points, oh, my gosh, that's so broken. We need to fix that. That's broken. We can fix that. That's broken. But the And I knew that something would come to me eventually and I kind of just just held it quite loosely to the side while I got on with life. And um, But I really started to want to make a difference and in this particular area. So basically what happened in the end was I came across a, a market failure and it was by accident that um, without getting into all the nitty-gritty, that, that there was a part of the process in the family court where I needed transcription. And um, it was extremely expensive, like just off the charts expensive. So I couldn't quite understand why that was. And that's that's when I, the, I started to piece the pieces together because, uh, you know, when you think about transcription, I was like, well, that's kind of work that you could do anywhere and possibly even any time of the day. Uh, depending on what's what's needed and then I sort of saw what was happening in the industry and obviously AI has changed the industry you know really completely um, and will continue to do so but there's a there is a um, there is a period at the moment where obviously there's the accuracy is needed for certain um, clients and customers um, and it's not there with AI yet so 
and it may get there it may not you know like people are saying it will get there and it may you know it might be might be five years but it could be less could might be 10 years off but they're the obviously the value that that we've built into the product for hr managers is this you know we'll we summarize the meetings and set out the next action so all of that kind of time that you usually sit at your desk after a meeting typing it all up and summarizing and setting out the next actions then sharing that with the people that were in the meeting we take all of that away and and it's done for you in you know uh, minutes rather than um, hours so so yeah, that's where the idea came. And so obviously having a social enterprise background, I knew that we could, okay, there's something in this, hopefully that we can provide employment, this type of employment to this cohort of women. And then it just grew from there. So it obviously I was thinking about then the digital economy and participation in that, this um, kind of aspirational uh, framework that we, we, what I don't want and what I feel like women don't need is funneling into low-skilled, low-paid jobs that basically keep them living below the poverty line. Most we've recent research tells us that 60% of single mothers are victims of domestic and family violence. And that's enormous. And we've only just learnt that. So we, we might have wow. guessed it before, but the data actually tells us that now. So that's huge. And so the needs of single mothers um alone are, are significant in terms of what sort of incomes they need to survive but then you you layer in the complexity around experiences with domestic and family violence which is 60 percent of those mothers um and then you get a whole other picture of um you know um challenge that's really difficult to overcome so that then that's sort of then seeded the idea for well, okay if we're going to employ these women and provide jobs um, how we're going to support them, how and what does that look like? So very early we um, invited a group of uh, 10 women from across Australia, different ages, different backgrounds, who all had lived experience to co-design from the very outset what the what Banksia Academy could look like and should look like, what it could deliver um, and how it would actually support these women. So that was... And the academy was born. <laughs> oh wow! And I mean, it's got multi-layered value. Um, what you're doing with Scribe and the Bank Zero Academy, and that's what's so exciting. Um, and it's innovative. And this is the thing, right? That when when you are looking at um, solving societal needs, you you can't help but drive innovation because. It, it, it forces you to think outside of the way things, you know, this is the way we always do things. Mm. And there is such potential in that. I think it's incredibly exciting. Enjoying the podcast? If you're looking for more inspiration, head to our website, thecauseeffect.com.au for more resources on how you can start using your business as a force for good. Or buy the For Love and Money book, Every copy sold allows us to protect one square metre of rainforest. Help us save 10,000 square metres by 2025. I read that you, um, your theory of change covers both organisations. Can, can you share that with us? Yeah, sure. So um, the theory of change is essentially that if we can invest, you know, obviously money, investment, um, dollars, um, education, training and skills in higher skilled work um, in the digital economy, then um, we can, you know, support these women to secure work in the digital economy, tends to be higher paid than other lower skilled jobs. Then we, you know, we can see these women exiting social housing perhaps and being able to you know rent rent in the private rental market they've got more secure housing they could even you know be in the in housing ownership that changes a lot for women obviously and if we support them and wrap all of the right supports around them they're more likely to maintain that level of employment and um and and thrive in life um then you see um intergenerational change mm. and transformation so whether these children are growing up in these single mother households who have experienced domestic and family violence the the trajectory can often be that those cycles are repeated 
Um, and we know anyway from other kind of cohorts that, you know, that intergenerational cycles of um, disadvantage tend to repeat um, yep. unless something breaks it. And so that that's the theory of change, that we could actually break those cycles and and certainly that we can break the cycles of women um, experiencing domestic and family violence returning to uh, violent partners because of financial reasons. So the, the same research that tells us that 60% of single mothers are victims of domestic and family violence is work done by Dr Anne Summers um, in a report called The Choice, Violence or Poverty that came out last year. And, yes, that she, that she talked about, you know, that the, the number one reason most women return to violent relationships is um, are financial reasons. They simply can't afford to to live on their own, so they go back. You you mentioned it before, and I I didn't I didn't pick it up, but I I just can't get past this um, this stat that you shared that sixty percent of single mothers are victims of domestic and family violence. That's horrifying. Mm. That, that's just that's just shocking mm. that it is such a high level. It's I've, I've not I've not come across that stat before. Mm. That's that's absolutely horrifying. Mm. We do have, like I know we, we, we hear it certainly in the sector um, that there's a, you know, an epidemic of family and domestic violence in this country. It's just shockingly prevalent and, and you know, by, by its nature it's difficult to, to bring it into the light um, and when you can't bring something into the light it's really hard to change it. So Obviously, there's lots of layers to it. The national plan addresses many of them. Uh, it's it's po- really positive, but there's such you know there's so much more to do as well. And you know we see, I guess, our theory of change in creating that kind of intergenerational um, transformation is that what we're doing actually then becomes also about prevention. So it's not just mm. re- in this recovery phase that we work by focusing our investment and attention on that recovery phase we're actively engaged in prevention as well. So, yeah, that's um, that's sort of a key part of what the theory of change is. And I guess it's, it's prevention at another uh, a number of levels. One, because they're less likely to return back to um, to the relationship with the offender, but also the intergenerational impact of it as well. Yeah, that's um, right. Huge, absolutely huge. So, so do you ha- have you had investment on Scribe? Have you got funding of it? We have, yeah, we have indeed. So we've had some early um, seed investors, um, and we're raising capital at the moment um, to give us runway uh, for you know uh, for the business to grow and really to get Scribe for HR into into the market. We've got some um, early customers, which is fantastic. Um, been great learning along the way and obviously we need to keep refining the technology and building that so super exciting um in the academy we had some wonderful um seed investment into the philanthropic investment into the academy um including the vasudara foundation who um, provided a one hundred thousand dollar grant to to sort of kick things off which was amazing Wow. Yeah, yeah, and we're talking to government. Um, yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of really positive movement at the moment. So it looks like 2023 is shaping up to be a huge one. That's exciting. And um, so you've had some early customers, some clients. Can you tell me? You don't have to give any names away unless you want to give them a shout out. But can you tell me what kind of clients are working with you and and when you approach them or when you're referred to them or whatever it is, how do they respond to your pitch? Um, I'm, I'm curious to understand, is it the individual, you know, is it the person that you're speaking to, the decision maker, who really drives the conversion of the relationship or is it is, is it something within the organisation? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's multi-layered and... So there's a bigger context, obviously, that, you know, you and your listeners and guests would all know about, and that is the the greater context of ESG, corporate social responsibility, the environment that business is now working in and genuinely wanting 
too and and needing to are two different things but there's sometimes they they overlap which is where the it's most powerful where there's a genuine need to do business better and differently and and then there's a need to be for you know shareholder activists and things like that so it's a great kind of context that sits behind what we're doing because there is a lot of energy around okay well we, we've we've got to we've got to definitely be seen to be doing better um, but we really actually want to do better too and do business better. So from a, there's a social procurement context as well that that sort of fits within. And so all of that kind of more uh, macro kind of um, context is certainly opening doors for us. Um, and then the kind of if you bring it down to the next layer and that is, well, we're all about this impact that we want to achieve. And then the next layer is we've got, actually got fantastic products here as well so and service. And so we, in the inscribed, we've got two sets of clients really. One, one is um, more kind of traditional transcription. They could be academic researchers, market researchers, podcasters, anyone who wants their audio recordings transcribed and and especially where they need those transcribed accurately um so we were we've been working with um they wouldn't mind a shout out i'm sure at impact studios at uts um so they they did a whole lot of um podcast interviews for their oral history program and um so we transcribed all of that audio hours for them and then all of that is then stored in the state library archives and that needs to be formatted a certain way. So we did that work as well. So it's hours of work for our women and for the business. It takes a huge load off um, them internally, obviously, more cost-effective to outsource it, that sort of thing. But also then, okay, there's a, the transcription market's huge. Why us? And the why us piece is because of the, this, um, the social impact that we, um, you know, we partner with our clients to deliver. So um the it doesn't mean that the service we're delivering or the product we're yeah. delivering is subpar it's it's got to be uh, it's got to be just as good as anywhere else so um quality assurance is is all in place um so that's been really wonderful and the goal certainly is to work with more of those kinds of clients and um yeah be a provider of choice for all of those kinds of clients that are currently using transcript another transcription service whether it's a, a purely ai driven one or one that uses offshore resources to do the editing and make sure it's um, accurate. That's that's very common and they're paid peanuts to do it and it's sometimes still not accurate because English isn't their first language. Yeah. So it's all of that sort of layering in, um, you know, the the why behind what we, what we do and why we're best. <laughs> and then the HR customers, um, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's really kind of um, again comes down to a um, first and foremost is is the product actually going to do what it says it's going to do and is it going to save me the time is it going to increase my compliance is it going to reduce my risk all of that sort of thing that's their first priority and that's our first priority for them um, I guess what opens the doors in terms of first getting being able to speak to some of the individual HR leaders that we do is that is the social impact piece as well. So in a sea of um, competition, I guess, um, it's kind of getting that's what's opening the doors and and getting us in front of the, the customers that we want to be in front of. Yeah, it's a very compelling point of difference. Um, I'm curious, you, you talked about the fact that you, you target HR teams because they've got, they have a huge amount of meetings, I, I guess there are other departments have, who have that as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in knowing, is it HR departments are often led by women um, with empathy, yeah. you know, who, who are people leaders and have people skills? Is that part of um, your targeting strategy as well? It wasn't this interesting. It wasn't necessarily part of our targeting strategy. At HR, the kind of um, decision to sort of go deeply into that market was really... Uh, a commercial one as a startup we there obviously the use cases for the the need for transcription sort of spans so many different verticals and industries so what we couldn't do what we didn't have the 
means to do from a funding perspective was to go to market more broadly. How on earth are we going to do that? We don't have we can we don't have massive you know marketing and advertising budgets. Uh, Google ad you know AdWords things like that. So we had to try to get really focused. And then we 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 designed with them. We designed with our customer. So we we got to the heart of what their um, we assumed a problem. Um, and instead of building a product straight away that we thought we could fix that problem, we we did very um, you know intense kind of um, work with with the target market to really kind of validate the problem first. And then start to look at what the solution could look like. So, yeah, we designed it with with the customer um, on board, and yeah, that's um that's how we've ended up with Scribe for HR. But you know, the the web based app is clearly has um, enormous um, potential in terms of other use cases, and you know, there's think of every board meeting, other other use cases in government, um, other kind of civic kind of functions that need to take place that need recording or need minutes taken, things like that. So, yeah, there's, they're, the sky's the limit really in terms of use cases and where we might go from here, which is really exciting. But the, yeah, I guess it's- 2023 is definitely about consolidating what we've built so far and really kind of, you know, digging deep into the into the HR market, yeah. Yeah, and it's smart to it's smart to target a niche, and you know, as, as everyone says, your target is not your market, but you need to have that clarity and that niche so that you can really deliver something of supreme value to right. that niche target, yeah. um, and and focus on them rather than just go blur broadly. What do you think with with the clients that um, that are using your services? Um, do you find there's a shared identity? Like, is there a shared narrative between you, the ones that really lean into it um, strongly and faster than others um, because of the social impact side? Do you think they connect with your purpose and, and the vision? Yeah, yeah, they absolutely do. And part of that also is because, you know, the other thing we all know is that domestic and family violence doesn't discriminate. It's you know, it's happening everywhere in every kind of socioeconomic group in the country. Um, we, you know, notwithstanding the fact that we also know it impacts Indigenous First Nations women more than more than non-Indigenous. So, I want to acknowledge that. But otherwise, it's everywhere. It's in our. It's in the women that you are sharing an office with. You know, may have had an experience of domestic and family violence. It's it's everywhere, and so. Our clients recognise that, you know, within their workplaces, it could be about 20% of their work workforce who is impacted by this. Yeah, wow. So we also have an opportunity to support those workplaces through Banksier Academy. So there's this incredible kind of picture of shared value that starts to take shape and it, I mean, that is incredibly exciting that we can deliver a, a a product slash service that meets a real business need that we can at another level support the women in their workplace that have experienced domestic and family violence um, and the workplace more more broadly with policies and anything else that we can support them with through the academy. Yeah, and we can deliver this employment at the other side to to victims as well. So it's... um. Yeah, it's it's quite a unique um, convergence of those those things and that kind of impact at the centre of it. Yeah, it's really so that they everyone sees that it's really obvious when we start talking that there's a lot there's a lot of power in this and a lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, as as you say, it's that shared value. It's that value at multiple levels to multiple stakeholders at multiple times, um, and it's just. It's just smart. It's intelligent, right? I love it. I think it's I think it's huge and I think you're gonna have so much success and I, I really hope you do. As we um start to wrap this interview up, um I I want to bring it back to love and money. 
and and ask you, you know, what do you think about that relationship between love and money, purpose and profit? What's your view on that? Mm. Yeah, it's such an interesting question because it's so fraught for so many people, isn't it? I mean, their relationship with money, let alone when you add the word love to it. For me, love is... Firstly, it's an act. It's a it's a verb, and it's an act of the will, and and where you kind of place that word together with money, uh, it's well, you know, how can we uh, ignite an act of the will with money to create something better than how it was before for someone or something, and that's that's the power of purposeful business for me that you know certainly that we can leave the world better than we found it um but the the money is not just the transaction piece it's that's what it's traditionally been thought of as transactional but it's it has just as much um energy intentionality um purpose to it as as love does and yeah, I think when maybe when we combine the two, that's when we can, you know, that's when we can kind of step change um, we, what we see in the world and create the kind of change that we ain't really need to create right now. Um, but you just look to it like how the combination of love and money is driving so many young people, you know, we all yeah. know we need to earn a living. Um yeah, we're rewriting how we do business right now and it's super exciting, as you know, and um, and why we do business. It's, yeah, from, from the kind of, again, that kind of macro look at how various countries now measure, you know, instead of measure GDP, measure gross national happiness or whatever it might be, well-being is, is a huge part of the conversation and, and it's not just, it's, you know, at its deepest kind of... Um, uh, see in the deeper seed of that is not um, not the desire to wash and pink wash and green wash and impact wash it's real I think that seed that, that that's germinating is real and we all we we're all craving um, something different for ourselves in the world and COVID really amplified that in in positive ways I think as well so yeah exciting to yeah, see it really is an exciting time and I think it's it, it, it is inevitable. I mean, we met at the Purpose Conference and I came away from that conference just thinking, you know, I've been I've been on this, beating this drum and trying to support businesses and, and share the opportunity, educate businesses as well for years now. And it's been an uphill battle, but something has shifted. And I came away from that conference just thinking, this movement is unstoppable. You know, it's it's taken a long time to get to this point, mm-hmm. but the the energy and trajectory and the the quality of the conversations mm-hmm. and the commitment and it's not just about people's passion to create change. It's you know, it it, it it's it's the backup, it's the investment part as well. It is mm-hmm. it is a paradigm shift. Mm. Um, without any doubt whatsoever, and mm. to see um, to see organisations, to see businesses like Scribed and what you're doing with the Bankseer Academy, um, I, I just think you are brave, you know, because you're leading from the front, um, but you are you are providing inspiration and a light to others, and I, I just hope that people. You know, when they learn about you, it will inspire them to actually start thinking differently and start questioning why do we have to do things this way? Start being more curious because that, you know, we need that curiosity to challenge the way things are and um, and to create the change that we want to see. So, yeah, congratulations and, you know, thank you for the work you've done because I I know it wouldn't be easy. I imagine it would be incredibly hard. Um, and and I'm sure it's been a challenge, but thank you, Mel. My pleasure. Thank you, Carolyn, for the opportunity to have this wonderful conversation. It's been gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Um, 
last word to you for business leaders who are, you know, thinking about um, how do we become more purposeful? Um, how do we lean into this more? How do we get started? Do you have any um, any words of? Um, do you have any suggestions for them? Yeah. Look, I think um, on one side, in terms of the um, you know big corporations, government who uh, are looking for ways to embed more purpose into their businesses, I you know I feel feel like social procurement is the best way to start. Um, that start buying from good businesses, you know, get that kind of um, that ecosystem flowing within your business of, you know, where your supply chains, your, you know, service providers, whatever it might be, um, where you can procure socially, you know, yeah, do it. And um, that in itself is going to start to create, you know, a huge ripple effect. Um, and then for, you know, for businesses who are uh, leaders who are looking to start a purpose business or really embed more purpose, um, yeah, I feel like it's really important to sort of get real clarity on what the impact is you're trying to deliver and then um, designing in a human-centred way and so whether where you can and when you can listen to the voices of people with lived experience for me that is just essential um we can't we can't design for real change if we don't do that anymore which i think is becoming really apparent so um and really important so that that would be the biggest piece of advice to anyone looking to create purpose through through their business too yeah brilliant thank you i think that's gold um lastly how can people get in touch with you melanie oh you can reach me at um Melanie at scribed with two eyes.com um, or um, visit the website, uh, join our join our mailing list to get some lovely juicy content in your inbox. Um, yeah, and my phone number's on the website too. So yeah, please do reach out. I'd love to share more with you. Brilliant. And we'll we'll include all of that on the show notes as well. Melanie Greblo, thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I wish you all the very best for 2023 and um, with Scribes and Bacter Academy. Thank you. Thanks so much, Carolyn. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing? <laughs>